Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class Podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome back. Tonight we're in chapter 15. We're going to cover verses 1 through 35, but if you recall a couple weeks ago, Scott told us, I think it was when we hit chapter 11, that we were going to approach the rest of the book of Acts, this, this series, with trying to pull out some lessons from the early church so we can apply in, in this community, this small church we call the pastor's class. We're going to continue with that theme tonight, and hopefully at the end of the lesson tonight, the one thing we'll understand is we'll have clarity of the gospel, because this text... Um, there's, we're going to see is there's uh, some folks that come in and try to um, confuse the Gentiles of what the gospel really is. So the whole point of tonight, um, as we title this whole series, We Are That Church, and then tonight is Gospel Clarity. But before we get into the text, I have to tell you a little bit um, about me. I'm an idealist um, by nature, which means that um, I tend to look at things from the best case scenario. And if you are an idealist, you understand that uh, with that comes disappointment. I've been told a lot that, Stuart, you need a little more um, reality when you look at things. Um, If you are a realist, then you think I'm weird, right? But that's just the way life is. So as an idealist, when you're growing up, you... um, You look to... You want to be... As a kid, you look to age 13. I just want to be a teenager, when I become a teenager, I get all this extra freedom. And I guess in today's world, it means you make maybe get a cell phone or social media accounts or whatever. That may come with being a teenager. But when you get to 13, you realize it's a big disappointment. Because then you want to be 16. Because then you can drive. And I get freedom, right? I get, I get a car. I can drive on my own. I have all this freedom. But then comes a little more responsibility you have to get a job, you got to pay for gas, there's insurance. So again, we're disappointed. We're not satisfied with 16, because then we need to be 18, because then I'm an adult. Mom and dad cannot tell me what to do, because I am an adult. I can move out, life is better, right? And then as an idealist, reality hits, and it's a mess. And then, then you start thinking, you know what? When I get married, it's going to be wonderful, right? I can find a wife or a husband, whatever the case may be for you, and life's just going to be a bed of roses. There's going to be no arguments, no disagreements. It's just marriage is perfect. My wife can probably give a few more examples, but I'm not going to give marriage advice tonight. Um, I can probably give you men more advice of what not to do to have a successful marriage than what to do to have a successful marriage. But we see marriage is a perfect example of when reality hits idealism, right? It's a mess. When two people come together and form a community, it's disappointment, it's it's chaotic, it's we don't communicate well, we don't understand well, and the same is true in the church. The same is true in a community like this. When you get this many people together, it can get messy if we don't understand the purpose and the gospel, right? And basically, it comes down to one thing. We're selfish. We're all selfish by nature. 
So as we start this lesson, I want you all to nod in agreement that, that you are selfish. I am selfish, right? And that idealism also comes into play as I study the book of Acts. I look at the early church and I go, I wish I could go to a church like that. I wish, I was, I wish the church was like that. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, hundreds and thousands being saved. They said they had everything in common. They met the needs of their community. There wasn't a benevolence committee that took in applications to see if someone, their need could be met. They just took care of each other, right? But we're going to see tonight that even they had some division. We haven't seen that yet up, up in our study. Um, and I've been studying the early church a lot um, the last six or eight months um, our family has the privilege to be a part of a, a, a ministry that does neighborhood outreach, um, probably less than five miles from here. Um, a community, if we go on Sundays, a community of about 19 homes. And if you talk to the families or you talk to the kids, you ask them what church they go to, and they point to us. That's scary. When you start realizing that you really are the church, we're told all the time, the church is not a building, we are the church. That sounds great. It's the right answer in church. It's the right answer in Sunday school. But when you get outside these walls and you see people pointing to you as their church, reality hits again and you start thinking about what this truly means. And again, when you get that many people together, not everything goes as we plan. So as I was preparing for this lesson, I came across this thought. It says, the gospel has often been hindered by the closed minds of a few standing in front of and blocking open doors and opportunities. Think about that. The gospel is progressing, but it's hindered by just a few people, sometimes one with a closed mind, and they stand in front of that open door to try to stop the gospel going forward. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Um, as by way of background, I mentioned um, Acts 1 through 14. We've seen the gospel progress. We're about 20 years after Pentecost at Acts 15. We've seen the gospel go to the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. We saw Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And then the last few weeks, we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas as they've been traveling um, in Antioch and spreading the gospel. Um, so we're going to read through all 35 verses and then come back and um, see what we can learn from it. So uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, 
You know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no, no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to, Paul, to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from the old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So up until this point, we know that the Jews had accepted the Gentiles into the church up until tonight's text. So the first five verses is, is what I'll call the disagreement, right, or, our, or, or the dispute. And we remember from Acts chapter 10 um, that Peter learned that nobody should be called unclean, not the Gentiles even, because we talked about in the night we stayed Acts 10 how much the Jews hated the Gentiles, pure hatred. There was no love at all. So now it all comes to a head. Verse 5. Um, 
gives us the whole reason for the dispute. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And also in the text, we see there's also a secondary issue we'll talk about a little bit later in the response, but it's more social interaction issues, dealing with food, mostly. Um, but we see in, in uh, verses 2 and 3 that Paul and Barnabas disagreed with these few Jews, and James made it clear when they were meeting that these few Jews that go and start telling the Gentiles they have to be circumcised, Paul and Barnabas um, disagreed with them. There was, disp- there was dissension. There was debate. It still wasn't settled. So that's when we see the first church council, the Jerusalem council. Jared actually mentioned it in the sermon tonight. And it's the group of the apostles and elders, and they make their way back to Jerusalem to defend the gospel, to set the record straight that these few Jews that had gone out on their own and started telling people they had to be circumcised, that they were wrong. That was not the gospel. So we skip to 6 through 18 um, is what um, would be what I would say is the, gospel, the defense of the gospel. So we have a dispute. Now it's going to be defended. Um, the apostle and elders gathered. They debated. After some debate, Peter stands up. He kind of takes the floor. And he basically recaps Acts 10. He says, look, y'all remember God chose me to go to the Gentiles. Remember all that? The vision that Peter got to go to Cornelius' house to share the gospel. Cornelius had gathered his family. Peter's reminding all these Jews of that, that God chose him to go to the Gentiles. And he also says that in verse 8, that God knows the heart. God knows their heart. It's not up to these few Jews that are telling them they have to be circumcised. It's not up to them to judge the Gentiles' hearts. God knows the heart. And he reminds them that the the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews did at Pentecost. We saw it again. Like I said, in Acts chapter 10, we saw the Holy Spirit fall on them. Just like it happened um, in Acts 2 for the Jews. Peter also reminds them, God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We talked about that at length a few weeks ago. God doesn't care the culture. He doesn't care the economic status. He doesn't care the color of skin. He makes no distinction. And that's what Peter's reminding them. God doesn't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And he also then reminds them that salvation is by faith. It has nothing to do with keeping the law. That's why Jesus came, right? Verses 8 and 9. And God knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And then in verse 10, he references a yoke. It's... In my research, it's reference to the burden of the law, right? That keeping the law is, ne- is impossible. He even says in the latter part of verse 10, neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear it. There's no way that we can keep up with this law that these Jews are telling the Gentiles they have to, they have to follow. And then in verse 11, he says, we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So he's telling them, hey, Jews, we believe that. We're going to be saved through Jesus so will they. Everybody is saved the same way. There's one gospel. There's not a gospel for the Jews and a gospel for the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. He's clarifying the gospel right here. It's one. And the gospel is plain and simple, right? Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. 
He ascended into heaven and He's coming back. That's the gospel. We don't add to it. We don't take away. That is the gospel and that's what Peter is defending. And when Peter gets done, Paul and Barnabas stand up and then they start testifying to the signs and the wonders that they had seen and testifying to what God had done in and through them among the Gentiles. You had Peter explaining the initial salvation of the Gentiles, then Paul and Barnabas explaining years of missionary journey of what God had done to the Gentiles. And then we see um, in verse 13, James, after there was some silence, James stands up and says, okay, guys, I think we need to listen to these people, right? He encourages this Jerusalem council. We need to listen to Peter and Paul and Barnabas, right? Circumcision is not required for salvation. And then he goes um, in verses 16 through 18, and he's quoting Amos 9, 11, and 12. So he's going back to the Old Testament to remind him that God's plan for Israel and the Jews, it has not been abandoned by the Gentiles being added to the church. God's plan always prevails. And just because another culture is being added to the church, it's not disrupting God's plan that the Jews had seen, right? And we see that today sometimes. People not like us come into the church. And we think it may disrupt our little happy church, right? Our happy holy huddle when people not like us or may um, not look like us, act like us, talk like us, right? I'm guilty. And then we see the remainder of the chapter, 19 through 35, is the response or the resolution. Beginning in 19, James recommends that they draft a letter to deliver to the Gentiles. He tells them that, you know what, guys, I don't think we need to trouble the Gentiles with the law. I think we need to stick with the gospel. But, you know, we might need to address some social issues because in verse 21, he says that um, from ancient... For, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. So he, they're acknowledging, look, there's Jews in every city where these Gentiles are coming to faith. So we probably should address some of the social differences. Um, in, in, but he wants, he chose two uh, leaders, Judas um, and Silas, to go deliver this letter. Um, but on these social issues... I think it was just to promote peace among the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, the sexual immorality reference here um, is dealing with the Jew, the marriage laws of the Jews, that they should respect that. Um, the food items, it's really not telling them they really can't eat that stuff. But hey, when you're around a group of Jews, let's seek peace and unity. You know, just like if I go to another culture and I'm around other believers, there's some things that I do that could offend them but it has nothing to do with their salvation or not. It's just, you know, let's, let's do, sometimes we have to do some things for the sake of peace and unity. And that's what the social issues that are addressed in this letter are dealing with is let's remind the Gentiles, there's Jews in every city, for them to be mindful not to abuse their freedom in Christ, that they should respect their brothers. And so the same, like I said, is true for us. And so they deliver the letter, it's well received by the Gentiles. Everybody's encouraged. They're all one happy church again. The Jews and the Gentiles are celebrating again. 
that they've un- that the gospel has been clarified and so much that Paul and Barnabas remain there and continue on their preaching and teaching. So um, before we get to the application, um, just as kind of a way to recap, I wrote down two things that I saw is that we can learn how to effectively deal with conflict, um, is that we can talk about our differences but not allow them to divide us. But we need to understand that this was not a, that we don't ever compromise doctrine. That's what Peter and Paul and Barnabas debated so much was the gospel will never, should never, ever, ever be compromised. I know I can remember my dad telling me um, all through my life is sometimes you got to pick your battles. And I think this is a good reminder. The gospel is always worth fighting for. When someone tries to add to the gospel, add to how someone is saved, it is always worth fighting for, no matter the cost. But when there's secondary issues, we got to pick our fights. The doctrinal compromise is wrong every time. And then the second thing I mentioned at the outset, we see that the gospel is clarified. We see a unity, a unified witness. You see these Jews go back to the Gentiles, and I think it was you know, perfect, they sent Paul and Barnabas because that's who the Gentiles knew with them to, to deliver this letter, to show some unity. Because they saw in the first part of this text, it said that there was some dissension and debate before they went back to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas travel with these two church leaders to deliver this letter to show, you know, we've worked out our differences. We're a unified front now. The unity in the church And I think we can see that disagreements are opportunities for growth, not times for division. You know, how often today do we think, or at least I do, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this, that the church needs to work together more in love and unity. So many times, not just within our own body, but churches that should be working together are so divided over silly things. Silly, silly things. You know, I, you know we've, I've been a part of churches that have had significant conflict. And you look back and go, that was really stupid. Because you go back 20 years, I look back to one in, in a church, and I look back, and I don't even know what they're fighting over. It was about 20 years ago. I cannot even tell you the reason half a church left. Because it wasn't doctrinal. It was preference-based. And I think when we have these disagreements and um, messy situations, I think we need to ask, how will this impact the witness to the lost? That should be our number one concern. How is how we're dealing with disagreements and, and craziness, how does that impact our witness? Because that's really what it's all about. So I wrote down three lessons I think we can learn. Um, as a class and as individuals. Number one, our eyes on Jesus, individually and collectively. Individually, we need to always, always keep our eyes on Jesus. And if I come in this class and my eyes are not completely focused on Jesus, I'm going to impact somebody else. Who's going to impact somebody else? Who's going to impact somebody else? The next thing you know, this group, our eyes aren't on Jesus. Then we become, it just gets messy. Um, how do we do that? I mean, we, we talk about it a lot. 
It's time in the Word, prayer. It's serving. You know, I was looking at um, this next week is the beginning of Lent. And over the last few years, I've started understanding a little bit about Lent. And if you want to get your eyes on Jesus, it starts on Wednesday. Take the 40 days leading up to Easter and just focus on Jesus, right? Just focus on why we celebrate Easter. It'll change your life. 40 days. Just commit to 40 days. I promise you, I promise you, it will change your life. And I was thinking about um, an image that popped in my head of the importance of keeping your eyes where they need to be is one of my idealist decisions I made was when I was 18, I joined the Air Force because I hated school and they gave me 30 minutes to think about it was my reason. You know, my, my mom and dad questioned why I did. I said, they gave me 30 minutes to think about it because I thought, you know what, if I just, I don't like school, it's just going to, it's going to be perfect. But when you get to basic training, one of the first things they teach you after a couple of days of just yelling and trying to break you down is, is marching. And the first thing about marching is keeping your eyes straight ahead. Don't move your eyes this way. Don't move your eyes this way. And the reason is because you'll get out of line, get out of step. And then the whole 53 of us then look so messed up. One person can mess up a whole group because their eyes aren't where they are supposed to be, right? I thought about that all week on this eyes on Jesus, that if my eyes aren't on Jesus as an individual, I can mess up this whole group. So that's the challenge is focus individually and collectively. The second thing is invest in the eternal. Live daily focused on what Jesus cares about. Love what Jesus loves, care about what Jesus cares about. It says in verse 25 and 26, James tells them that Paul and Barnabas risked their lives for the gospel. Do we risk our lives for the gospel? I'm not saying God's calling us to go somewhere where our lives are literally in danger for the sake of the gospel, but you could risk your life for the gospel at your workplace right? Your words and your actions at home, at school, no matter where you are. Are you investing in the eternal by how you live, by how you talk, the things that your eyes look at, the things your ears hear? Care what Jesus cares about, love what Jesus loves. And the last thing, it's not about me. It's not about me. And that's hard because, you know, remember, we all already admitted we're selfish, but it's not about us. That doesn't go well together, right? Because we're selfish, but, I'm, but we're saying it's not about me. Don't focus on our preferences. In this class, you know, I don't like the food. I don't like the song you sang. And I don't like when Stuart teaches. <laughs> it's not about you, right? But I do like the ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> and I was thinking, um, I was reading about just church disagreements, and I was reminded of a story, it's very recent, and it illustrates that it's not about me point very clearly. There's a a small church was going to paint and put in new carpet, and people got really mad over the color of paint. I mean, almost split a church over paint on the walls. What's that tell you? When we make it about us, 
selfishness comes in the church, pride comes in, and it gets messy. I mean, I just, when you take, when you take a step back and go, how stupid is it to argue over carpet in a church, right? Because what's the purpose of the church? To care about the color of the carpet? No, it's not about us, right? We need to focus on Jesus and others. It's not about me. Um, and just some practical ways in the class. I mean, we did this some in the falls. We served together. You know, that'll quickly remind you that it's not about you. And it's fun. You go serve with other like-minded people from this group. It's a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. You, time gets away. You don't even realize how long you're there. And just even socializing. I know, um, I'm sure Aaron will talk about this in the announcements in a minute, but a social this week is getting to know one another outside these walls. That'll also help remind us that it's not about me. When we serve together, socialize together, I think we protect the unity of this class. And that's what I think this text is all about, is showing us the importance of unity when we understand the gospel. And so by understanding and doing these three things, having our eyes on Jesus, investing in the eternal, and it's not about me, we avoid being that closed-minded person or a group that blocks the progress of the gospel. Because I know I never, ever want it to be said about me that I was that selfish, closed-minded person that I stood in the way of the gospel progressing. And I hope you feel the same way. So remember, eyes on Jesus, invest in the eternal, and it's not about me. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to pray real quick, then Aaron is going to come up and close us with some announcements. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, just the reminder of the gospel, the reminder that um, we are sinners. We can be messy people. When our eyes are not on you, things just quickly get ugly. I pray as individuals, I pray as a class, God, that we would keep our eyes on you and you alone. We would love what you love. We would care about what you care about and that we would not be selfish people. We would not be a selfish group, that we would continue to serve together and to just get to know one another better and just protect unity, that we would um, just be known for being a part of the gospel moving forward, not hindering the gospel at all. We love you, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the reminder of how clear it really is that it's all about Jesus. All this we pray in your name. Amen.